Well, good morning, church family. It is good to see you all here this morning. For those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Ben. I uh, usually sit down there in the middle um, with my family, and so it is uh, my joy to uh, fill in for Dr. J while he is on a uh, band trip with his, uh, his family, getting some good family time in. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be with you. I hope everyone is having a good start to the summer. Um, the, the, the school year has ended, and I, I know this is kind of a special time of year, I don't, for, especially for those of you who are getting out of school, uh, maybe for some of you who are teachers. You know, I, I just feel like there's nothing uh, in life that ever quite matches, um, parallels with that experience you have when you get to the end of the school year and you know that you have two and a half months to just play, <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I, I honestly miss that. I'm not, I'm not bitter about this, but I, I, I truly miss um, being a kid and, and getting to the end and just, you get to play for two and a half months. There's nothing like it. I mean, and two and a half months in kid, kid time is like two and a half years in adult time. I mean, when do you ever get that in adult life? Um, it's, it's a special thing. And so uh, for those of you who are kids or teachers, um, I hope you enjoy the summer and you're, you're loving that. All right. Well, I, I wanted to uh, ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to test the limits of how far something would go? You know, uh, maybe you, you have a car, and you, you've always wondered, how fast can my car really go? Um, or maybe, maybe you've, you've got a truck, and you've, you've always wondered, I wonder how much uh, weight this truck can really tow. Uh, you know, the, every, even, especially if you're building something. Uh, if you've built something, you kind of want to know how strong is it? How much weight can it handle? Well, I was an assistant pastor at a church in Ohio, and uh, we had this, this project where we needed to build some shelving in a utility closet. And I had, I had these brackets that I'd used before on a previous project, and so I went to the store to go pick out uh, the brackets that I'd used before. We were going to put brackets on the walls and put shel- uh, plywood on top of the brackets and make shelving that way. And so when I got to the store, I noticed that the, uh, the brackets were a little more expensive than I remember them being. And so I was like, well, you know what, I'm just going to get some, uh, some heavy-duty brackets for the bottom shelves and some medium-duty brackets for the upper shelves because, you know, they'll have less weight t- typically on an upper shelf. And so I, went to, I brought them back to the, to the church, and we had a volunteer who would install these. His name was Paul, and uh, he, was, he was a retired f- uh, fellow and just great at these projects. And so I gave the stuff to Paul, and I said, here you go, Paul, here's, here's the plan. And in no time, he had it up. I mean, it felt like it was just a couple hours he had installed these things and had the plywood on them and everything. And so he brought me over into the room to, to kind of, you know, see, see what I thought. And I said, Paul, you know, I've got the medium duty uh, shelves and I'm a little concerned that they won't hold the weight. And I was, we were like, we're talking about how we could test it. So I grabbed like a heavy bin, I put it up there and I just didn't, I didn't know for sure whether it would be able to hold. And so, um, and so I was like, you know what, I know what I'll do. I'll just hang on the shelf, and, uh, and, and, and th- we can test it that way. And Paul didn't think that was a good idea, but before he could talk me out of it, I had already climbed up, and I, w- I very gingerly just kind of hung on the shelf um, and, and put my weight on it. And then I got down, and uh, I, it had held my weight, but I, I felt like 
It was bending more than I'd like it to bend. And Paul said, I think that's good enough. And I said, well, I don't know. I, I just am concerned we're going to put a lot of stuff on there. And so I said, I know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just bounce a little. So I climbed back up, and I began to bounce a little bit. And before you know it, I was on the falling down with the shelf. And somehow Paul had managed to catch me and the shelf. Um, it's as if he knew this would happen. And then I said, well, I think we know how much weight it can hold. <laughs> and, uh, and Paul said, maybe let's not hang on the shelves anymore to test them. <laughs> Everything has a breaking point, a limit where if you go past that, the thing is going to break. Have you ever wondered what is the breaking point of the human soul? Sometimes in life, we come to a place where we realize that the problems have piled on. They've built up, they've built up, and it's starting to be unbearable. Sometimes it can be a relationship conflict. Um, you know, it started out as a small thing, but it continued to grow until you just felt like if another thing happens in this relationship, this relationship is going to break. Sometimes it's something at work, you know, maybe they're overloading you at work or, or something, there's a problem at work and you've been dealing with it, you've been kind of just letting it go, trying to just be okay with it, but it's, go, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and you feel like if anything else, if this goes on much longer, this isn't going to work, I'm going to break. Well, we're in this sermon series on the book of Esther. Are you guys liking the sermon series? Oh man, it's been good. It's been so good. And we're at a point where Esther is at her breaking point. And we're going to watch as Esther goes through her breaking point and she stands up strong under it. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us and aren't familiar with, uh, with where we're at, basically I'm going to give you a review. There's this new law in the kingdom. Haman is the second in command in the Persian Empire. We're looking f uh, five, about 500 B.C., and he's the second in command, and he's written up this new law um, because this Jewish man had offended him. This Jewish man had offended him, and so he wrote up a law that said all Jewish people in the entire empire of Persia, which was huge at the time, are going to be killed and annihilated on one day, at the at the last day of the last month of the year, they're going to be killed. And he got the king to sign off on this. And they sent out the letter to all the provinces of the empire. And when it went off, went out, um, the the kingdom was in in turmoil. There there was just confusion, and the Jews were just torn up. But then, what they didn't realize was that God had a man on the inside, or should we say, a woman on the inside. Queen Esther was Jewish, but here's the thing about Queen Esther. She didn't tell anybody she was Jewish. She had been keeping this a secret for five years, because Jewish people back then were kind of looked down upon. You know, they, they were very different, and so she didn't tell anybody that she was Jewish. And she's at this breaking point because this news has gone out. It's been two months. People are in turmoil. The Jews are torn up. And she has to make a decision because she's going to either go before the king, risking her life, spilling the beans about this secret that she's been keeping for five years, or she is going to end up betraying her family, her people, and her God. 
And so we're going to watch as Esther goes through this breaking point, this critical turning point in her life. And we're going to grab some principles that we can use to apply to the breaking points in our lives. The first thing we learn from Esther in, uh, in the book, in, in, this, in what we're going to look at today, is that when we hit a breaking point, we need to first surrender our safety and our secrets. Would you say this with me? Surrender our safety and our secrets. Now, that's not what we would rather do, right? When we're in a breaking point situation, it feels like life is fragile. It feels like if one more thing goes wrong, it's all going to fall apart. And so it is natural for us to want to protect, want to keep things the way they are, the status quo. But if we keep things the way they are, if we keep doing the same things, we're going to get the same results. And so... And so what I've learned, I work with computers right now, and uh, one of the things I've learned as I work with computers, if I've got a broken computer and, I've, and I've, I've seen this problem before, usually there's something I can do to fix it. I've done it on another computer to fix that one, and so I do it. Now, if that doesn't work, what do you think I do? I do, I do it again. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll work the second time. And then it won't work, and then I'll do the same thing, and I'll do it over and over again, uh, thinking that if I do the same thing, that I will get different results. And that's not the way it works. If I want, what I've learned with a computer is if I want to get something different out of the computer, I got to change something. I got to reboot that computer, which resets the values, you know, inside the computer. I got to change a setting. I got to change something to get different results. And so what we see here in, in, in these moments of, of breaking point is that we have got, something has to change. And that's why we need to be able to be vulnerable with our safety and our secrets. For Queen Esther, she surrenders her safety and her secrets first in her heart, first inside her heart. And what we see in the book of Esther is that there was this moment where she asked all the Jews who were in the city of Susa, she asked them to pray for her and fast for her. And she said, I'm going to do the same thing. And then she says... And then I'll go into the king. And if I die, I die. She's going to be risking her life to go before the king. Because, you see, the king had a law that if you, if you come before the king without an invitation, you automatically are killed. Um, you get the death penalty. Unless he just so happens to extend his scepter um, in that moment, and then you don't die. So she's going to risk her life. She's going to spill the beans about the fact that she's kept a secret from her husband for five years. This is a vulnerable situation. But before she does anything, she surrenders these things up in her heart. In our lives, we may be wrestling with um, a bad habit. And we know we need to get help outside of ourselves. We've gotten to that point where it's kind of built up to this breaking point. We need some help. And we've heard that they've got this great group, Celebrate Recovery, here at the church. It meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And we've, we've wanted to go but when we think about going, we say to ourselves, what if they make me share? Now, they, they don't make you share. When you go to Celebrate Recovery, you share as much or as little as you want. But here's the thing. We will never go to Celebrate Recovery unless we have surrendered those things in our heart. Because we don't know. We, I, don't, I don't know for sure what, what they, what, whether somebody's going to ask you to share. But if you... They, they don't, I don't think. I'm pretty sure. Does anybody know? They don't. But here's the thing. 
you don't know. And until you've surrendered that in your heart, you'll never go because you haven't surrendered um, yourself up to being vulnerable. Sometimes we're having this situation at work where things have gotten worse and worse, and we know we need to have a conversation, but we realize that after that conversation, things will never be the same. We want to keep the status quo. We want to keep things the same. But in order to have a breakthrough, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, to be a little unsafe, for things to change. The next thing we see in Esther's example in the, in, in the passage we're going to look at today is that she, when we reach our breaking points, we must find courage. Would you say this with me? Find courage. Esther does something unusual here, and I want to point it out, and we are going to get into the passage, but it's a real short passage. It's going to happen all, all of a sudden, so we're going to, we're going to build up um, what we see happening up to this point. Esther's going to, Esther needs to find courage, and, and she does. But, she, but we see this in something very unique that she does. Now, I want you to put yourself in Esther's shoes. Imagine that you need to go before the most powerful man in the world. That's, that's who King Ahasuerus was, the most powerful man in the world, and you need to spill the beans about this secret you've been keeping for the past five years. You need to confront um, this, this man, confront this new law that's been created that's, killing, uh, that's threatening to kill the Jews, and you're going to try to get the king to overturn a law which is not allowed in the Persian Empire. They don't overturn laws. You can only clarify them. If you were going to have that conversation with the king, would you like to have all the officials in the room, entire officials of the kingdom in the room with you while you're having that conversation with the king? I don't think so. How about, would you like to have Haman, your arch enemy, who has written the law in the room while you're sharing these secrets with the king? Or would you rather say, hey, king, can I get a moment with you in private? I have something important to talk to you about. Which would you rather do? I'd rather go in private. But that's not what Esther does, does she? She has invited the king and Haman to a meeting, and she's going to have the conversation right in front of Haman. How unusual. Who does that? I would say there's only one reason someone would do something so crazy like that. And I think it's because God told them to. I think that's the only reason someone would do something like that. So Esther is going to do this, and I think she, I think she, I think she, God told her during those three days when she was... Um, she was, out the, she was asking the people of the city of Susa, the, the Jewish people in Susa, to pray for her. I think during those three days, she was praying and fasting, and God met with her. And he said to her, I want you to meet with the king, and I want you to invite Haman. I think that's the only reason why she would do that. I mean, maybe she thought through and, and figured out this is the best way to go about this. Either way, directly or indirectly, indirectly God has told her to do this. Where do, that's just really uncomfortable. Where do you find the courage to do something like that? Well, this is Esther's book, and I believe she tells us. In the book, she says, I remember that time when Mordecai and I were sending messages back and forth, and he sent me this message. I'll never forget it. And he said, that she, didn't, she didn't want to go into the king. Mordecai was saying, please, you've got to go into the king. And, she, and Mordecai sent, sent a message back and said, what if you have risen to royalty 
for such a time as this. And she remembers that, and she just couldn't shake it. She knew God had called her to this moment. I think she also remembers that she asked the Jews of Susa to pray for her. And they, they prayed for her and fasted for her, and she looked out over them, and she remembered, there are a lot of people who are depending on me to go before the king. And she found courage in those moments. Where are we going to find courage? And the key word here is not courage. We always think it's courage. We like courage. It's the key word is find. Where are you going to find that? Because courage doesn't come to us naturally, does it? It doesn't just come to us and, and plop itself down in our laps. We can't just muster it within ourselves. In order to find courage, we must have a reason to be doing that thing that is so terribly uncomfortable. And some, the thing that we would most not want to do. We've got to have a reason. We've got to be able to say, I am doing this because I, my, I want my child to have a better life. I am doing this because God has asked me to, and he's done so much for me, I want to do something for him. And when we have that reason, then we will have the courage to do the uncomfortable things that are required at the breaking points of our lives. Our next principle in Esther's example is that when we are at a breaking point, we must face our enemies in person. Would you say this with me? Face our enemies in person. Now, we would not rather do that. Um, what would we rather do? We would rather get behind the computer and type up an email, right? Getting all sassy, sarcastic, asking questions. What do you think of that? <laughs> and uh, I mean, have you ever done this? You get sent in a text message. Got to do the question marks. Hold for the question mark. One more. You know, we get to those points. Have you, have you, have you ever had, have you, ever had uh, you, know, you, you know, in your marriage, you're, you're sending emails with your spouse. You live together in the same house. You're sending emails back and forth. Or if you received one of these emails or a letter, you, know, you come, come to the dining room table in the morning, and there's a letter on the table. That's not a love letter. There can only be bad things in that letter. And you're like, I don't even want to read it. Or maybe it's a text message. We need to talk. But first, I need to send you this really long text message. <laughs> oh, We'd rather get behind an email, a letter, a person. But God teaches us to face our enemies in person. Because it helps. Here's what Jesus says. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Privately. Not on Twitter, not on Instagram, where everybody can see what's happening and weigh in and just be all part of the drama fest. No. In, in person, privately. And it helps to do it this way. You know, what I find is um, if I'm meeting face-to-face -face with, with someone, I just find it a lot harder to be my worst self with them. You know, all those things that I'm saying in my mind, things I want to say before the end of that conversation, it's just a, a lot harder to, to say those things when the person's across the table from me and I'm looking in the eyes of someone who's a real person with hopes and dreams, 
fears, disappointments. I just can't bring my, I just soften up when they're right across the table from me. God teaches us to do this because it helps. And, and it's just an important part of really seeing, having a good conversation. All right, well, let's get to Esther's meeting. So this is the night. She has uh, delayed it twice. The king came to her and said, hey, Esther, I can see you're troubled. Uh, What do you want? I will give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And she said, what I'd like to ask for, if you are pleased with me, if the king would, it seems good to the king, would you please, uh, you and Haman have dinner with me? They're like, okay. And so they go to dinner, and the king says, all right, Esther, uh, what would you like? And Esther's stumbling over her words, and she's saying, well, if, if the king is pleased with me, and if it seemed good to the king, I, I, uh, I, would you have dinner with me tomorrow? And so they're like, okay. And so this is tomorrow. There's no more, can we have dinner more, one more time? This is the moment, and she is going to have to spill the beans. So here it is. Let's take a look at it. So the king and Haman went to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it will be fulfilled. All right. Ready? Take a deep breath. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it seems good to the king, would he please give me my life as my wish and my people as my request? Now the king is like, what? I'm offering you half the kingdom and you're asking for your life? He's starting to get a little concerned. And Esther continues, For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. And the king is is like, well, this is going to be an easy request. He's thinking, we're we're just going to take him out. Ain't nobody going to kill my queen. And take a look at what he says. He says, then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this evil Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined by him, against him by the king. And so the, queen, the king goes out into his palace gardens, and he's trying to think through this, and he's just kind of bewildered, and he's starting to put the pieces together, because he's, he's known there's been turmoil in the city of Susa ever since they wrote this, this law that all the Jews were going to be killed. He, he knows that Haman wrote this, and that, that Haman was offended by somebody, and, he, and he's, 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 at a, he's trying to piece together, why would, you, would Esther care about this? She must be a Jew. And he's piecing it together, and he's realizing this, this situation has no easy fix. Either he, he can't change the law, and, and this is Haman. He's got Haman, his second in command on one hand. He's got his queen, Esther, on the other hand. He can't change the law, and he doesn't want to kill his wife. I mean, his wife is going to have to be killed if this goes through. Well, I want to pause here for a moment for a principle. 
because this is going marvelously for Esther. And it's going marvelously for her because she followed one key biblical principle, and it's this. When we are at a breaking point and we go and have that conversation, we need to choose our words carefully. Would you say it with me? Choose our words carefully. Esther chose her words carefully. When, when you, we get to a breaking point, there is a lot that is on the line there. You don't want to get to that breaking point and be like, King, I don't know how to say this. I mean, I've, I've been keeping a secret from you for five years, and I just, I, there's this law in the kingdom, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of Jew. You know, you don't, want to, you don't want to be stumbling over your words in a moment like that. There's a lot on the line, and the lot, there's a lot on the line for your breaking points. Esther knew that the king was going to ask one question in, his, in the conversation. He knew, she knew he's going to ask, what is your request And look at what she had prepared. Take a look at this verse. She had carefully crafted this. Now, when you go to your English translations, they rearrange the words so that it flows in English. If you actually say it according to the Hebrew, it's a little choppy. Um, But I've I've rearranged it so that it more closely matches the Hebrew. And this is how the Hebrew flows. She says, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it seems good to the king, may it be granted to me. My life is my wish and my people as my request. Masterful. What is your request, Queen Esther? I'm asking for my life and the life of my people. That would have gotten his attention right away. And, and notice, and then she says, by the way, King, I, I, we're going to be killed, and if we, if we had been sold into slaves, I wouldn't have bothered you, but we're going to be killed. And she hasn't said anything about Haman at this point. She naturally sets it up so that the next question he's going to ask is, who in the world is trying to kill you? And she had her line like that. I bet she had it memorized. A foe and, this, and an enemy is this evil Haman. Masterful. Choose our words carefully. It takes... This is the spot... I think, when we're at a breaking point where we often, we often get it wrong. And I think the reason we sometimes get it wrong at our breaking points is because we come to the breaking point and we have gotten all of our courage together, we have gotten everything in us is fighting against doing this thing, having this conversation, and we finally get to that conversation and we're, 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 we've been losing sleep over it, we were anxious, and we get there and we, we just want to get it over with. And so we just, and we're not careful with our words. And I think it's understandable. But when we get to that conversation, to that breaking point, this is not the spot to let our guard down. We got to stay sharp all the way through because if we don't, we'll get to the breaking point. We'll get to the conversation, the critical moment. And instead of, Seeing the results we want will just make a big mess because we didn't, we weren't careful with what we said. Choose your words carefully. The, here's a proverb that's helpful. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. If the tongue can bring death or life, man, we ought to be careful with our words.
All right, let's resume our story. So the king gets up in frustration. He has gone out into the, the gardens, and he is, he is just torn up about this. He's got his queen on one side. He's got Haman on the other. There is no easy solution to this. Now, in the meantime, Haman is back there in the dining hall with Esther, and he is begging for his life. He's grabbing onto her hand saying, Esther, please don't let him kill me. Please don't let him kill me. He's grabbing onto her dress. I'll, I'll give you anything. I'll, 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 change, I'll get him to change the law. I'll give you my money, whatever it is. And, and he's doing that. And the king comes back out of the garden, not sure how this is going to play out. And he says this. He sees Haman over his queen. And he says, will he even assault the queen right here in my palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, singling, signaling his doom. Then Harbana, one of the king's eunuchs who was standing guard there, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 70 feet, 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale him on it, the king ordered. And so they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Wow. In a moment, everything has been changed. The, the enemy of the Jews is dead, and the Persian Empire has been flipped upside down. Take a look what happens next. On that same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And Haman was rich. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. He's my cousin. Then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's large property. So, so Esther spills the beans about the fact that she's Jewish. And all this happens. Everything changes. And she says, actually, Mordecai is actually my cousin. And he says, Mordecai, isn't he the guy we had a parade for the other day? Because he saved my life from assassination. Bring him in here. And Mordecai comes in. He takes that signet ring. Something you should know about that signet ring is with that ring, that's how the king approves things. And so if you've got the signet ring, you can write letters in the king's name. You can make decisions in the king's name. Mordecai is now second in command of the largest empire in the world. Now, when we come to the breaking points of our lives, we feel like the, the problems have mounted up and it feels, like, it feels very confusing about what's going to happen next. Feels like it could go this way, it could go this way, it could fall apart. You know, we we're not quite sure what's going to happen. And I want to simplify things for us today. And maybe it's an oversimplification, but honestly, I believe that break, breaking points only end up one of two ways. One, one option is that we experience a breakdown, and the other option is that we experience a breakthrough. We think that by playing it safe and doing the, th the things that we've kept doing, we're, we're, actually, we're, we're, we're keeping ourselves from danger and we're keeping things safe by, by doing the same thing. But in reality, when we are at a breaking point, things can continue to break down if you do the same thing over and over again and just not, not, not uh, muddy the waters, not, not mess things up. They can still break down. You've got a problem in your marriage. The problems are mounting. They reach a breaking point. 
and you don't do anything about it, and you know what happens? Every day, something new breaks in your marriage. Small breaks. First, it's your attitudes with one another. Then it's, you know, the, the communication. Then it's your, your financial decisions. You can't make them together anymore. Every day, something new breaks until one day you wake up and you, you're like, this is, this is completely broken. Breakthrough, breakdowns can also happen all of a sudden. Sometimes you have a, 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 a nervous breakdown. Sometimes people have moral breakdowns. Sometimes you ignore the things that are happening physically with your body until you have a physical breakdown. Sometimes we have a financial breakdown. But that's not what we want, right? We would like to have breakthroughs. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet and you're here with us, I just want you to know that we, as followers of Jesus, we believe that in order to have breakthroughs at the breaking points of our lives, we need help outside of ourselves. That's what we believe. And we need that help, especially from God. That's what we believe, is that is when we follow the principles of God, He teaches us how to navigate our lives through the breaking points and into a breakthrough. And when God breaks through in our lives, He doesn't doesn't break through small. He breaks through big. In, In one evening, one conversation, the Jews in the Persian Empire went from being on death row to being favored of the king and in places of great influence. What sort of freedom might be available to you if you were to follow these principles, surrender, safety, and secrets, find courage in some person that you're doing this for, face that enemy in person, and choose your words carefully when you're there in the moment? What sort of, what sort of financial health might be yours? What sort of relational health? What sort of joy might you experience? Freedom from anxieties, freedom from bad habits. Where, what could change in your life? If today we decided we're not going to live anymore on the edge of collapse, but instead we're going to take intentional steps to address that problem that keeps threatening to break our life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a mighty God who brings incredible breakthroughs for your people. And it is because you love us so much and you don't want us to be stuck under the weight of a mess. And you know the way through this breakthrough. We do not know it, Lord. We acknowledge that. And God, we're willing to wait if it takes some time to hit our breakthrough moment. But we're asking you, Lord, to meet us in these moments. Teach our heart to surrender. Teach our lips to speak with carefulness. And help us to have the important conversations that you are asking us to have. Help us to have courage. We need you, Lord, and we trust that if we follow your path, that you will lead us to that place of freedom and beauty, that good life that you have prepared for us. We trust our lives to you. In Jesus' name.